Good morning. Please stand for the reading of God's holy word. The reading this morning is from James 1, 19 through 25. My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent. And humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good morning. Happy New Year to you all. So as you know by now, we're going to jump into the book of James in this new year. And uh, I'm really excited to walk through this book together. Uh, I was thinking, you know, how, how do we end up making decisions like this? Last year, I loved what we went through, but we didn't go through a book of the Bible all last year. We did encounters with Jesus. We weren't going through these beautiful gospel stories. Then we looked at the minor prophets in the summer, and then we did our embodied series. I loved all of that. I loved walking through that, but I thought we haven't just gone through a book of the Bible from start to finish for a while. So I thought we'd kick off the year doing that. And... Um, James, because I felt like the Embodied series was very, uh, almost philosophical, very cerebral, some of the things we were talking about. And if you know anything about James, you know he is eminently practical. And so I thought that would be a nice balance to where we've been. So um, that's what we're going to do. Uh, this will get us through, uh, for sure, Easter and maybe even a little bit, bit beyond. Um, so I'm really looking forward to going through this together. Um, let me just, before we go into our passage, a little bit of background. If you go to back to verse 1 in chapter 1, uh, you'll see this is a letter written by James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so you need to know this is not the uh, disciple James, like from James and John, the sons of thunder. This is not that James. This is actually James, the brother of Jesus, so Jesus was a firstborn son, and after that, Mary and Joseph had some other boys and girls, and uh, James was one of those guys. So he is, I guess, technically Jesus' half-brother, younger brother. Uh, and we get this really interesting detail in the Gospels that tells us that even Jesus' own siblings didn't believe that he was the Messiah until after his resurrection. And you think, I mean, it is kind of a hard sell. Like, I was thinking, if, if like, my brother told me, like... <laughs> I'm the Messiah. That's, you know, no prophet is accepted in their hometown, and, and even less probably in their own family. And so his, his own brothers and sisters didn't even think that he was the Messiah. James didn't think that until Jesus died and rose from the dead. And scriptures tell us that he appeared to this James. And imagine if your older brother 
uh, you know, the guy you grew up with, really did rise from the dead and you came to believe, oh my goodness, he is who he said he is. He is the Messiah. And this is what happened for James. And then if, as we read the book of Acts, we don't know exactly how this happened, but it's very clear that this James, who then believed in his older brother, came to prominence in leadership in the church in Jerusalem, such that by like Acts 15, he's actually kind of the main leader in the, the mothership church in Jerusalem. Yeah, he's, he's risen to kind of, even, it seems like more than even Peter, like Peter seems to be the apostle and of course Paul to the nations, but in, the, in Jerusalem, the mothership uh, church, James is, is kind of the main leader there. So quite a, quite a journey from not believing in his own brother to coming to faith in him and becoming the leader of the church in Jerusalem. That's who writes this. Uh, if you look at verse one, you, you see that he writes to the 12 tribes scattered among the nations. And there's some debate about what he means. Uh, some scholars point to this very interesting verse in Acts. This is right after Stephen is martyred, the first Christian martyr. It says, on that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem. And all except the apostles were, and this is that same word, were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. And so it's possible that these are, this is written to Jewish Christians that were scattered on that day of persecution to the surrounding regions, or it's possible it's just written to Jewish Christians who, who lived not in Jerusalem or in Judea, but were out in the nations. That, those, they were referred to as the diaspora, the scattered. And so it might be written just to those people in general, but clearly written to Jewish Christians. This is a very, a very Jewish letter, feels very Jewish. Um, and the theme of this book and what I've entitled our series is Faith in Action. Okay, this is James' passion. He wants to talk about how do you live out your faith in the concrete, tangible, daily moments of your lives. That's what he is passionate about. Our theme verse, I, I think his theme verse is verse 22, which is why I started in this passage, not in verse 1. Don't merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Or more literally, don't just be hearers of the word, be doers of the word. That's James' passion, faith in action. And lots of scholars will contrast him with the apostle Paul. And I actually, I think the contrast is kind of helpful. And so I, just to help you understand, James, it's, it's helpful to think about Paul first. And when I think of Paul, I don't know how, like when you think of Paul, what comes to mind, but for me, Paul is like the consummate theologian, right? Like he, his passion is to help us get inside the theological and spiritual realities of what God has done in Jesus Christ, specifically in his death on the cross, his resurrection, and then the pouring out of the spirit. Paul's passion is, is to help us understand those things, to sit in those things, to contemplate them, uh, and then to put our faith in them. Uh, Paul's passion really is faith that we would see it, understand it, and trust God. And Paul's a very, um, I don't even notice, he's a very linear writer. Like if you read the book of Romans, he's like constructing an argument from chapter one, who God is, who Jesus is, what God has done in him, and then how we're supposed to live. It's very linear. You have to start at the beginning and read the whole thing and understand it. Okay, James is quite different from that. James, I would say, is the consummate pragmatist. Uh, James kind of cuts through um, any attempt we might make just to theologize our way through life, uh, to hide behind interesting ideas and sophisticated, you know, conversations. And James kind of cuts through all of that. And he's like, um, yeah, I'm interested in faith in action. 
How does all of that that you think about and contemplate and talk about, how does that impact how you live your actual life? Specifically, he'll say things like, how does that impact how you walk through challenges in life? How does that impact how you talk to people, how you build them up or how you tear them down? How does that impact how you deal with money? How about how you deal with social relationships with people who are wealthier than you or poorer than you? How that impacts your, your, your prayer life. Very practical things. Faith in action. That's what James cares about. And um, James is not very linear. You're going to find out. Like James just kind of has a shotgun approach. Like he's just a little nugget about this, living this way and then this part of life and this part of life. And he, he'll kind of come back to themes. I'm not even starting at the beginning. That's how nonlinear he is. You can kind of just like jump in and get this nugget about how to live a, in a certain part of life. And so he's different um, than Paul in that way. So I think of James, I think of James as like New Testament Proverbs saturated with the teachings of Jesus. Like that's, that's James in that. So it's like, it's like New Testament Proverbs, but absolutely saturated with the teachings of Jesus of Nazareth, who himself was a, a rabbi giving wise sayings as he went along his way. So we're going to walk through this book. And, and today we're going to look at, I want to start in this section rather than uh, verse one with, as Mark has already talked about, with our relationship with the word of God in this passage on, on how we interact with God's word. And I, I think every new year, there's no better um, topic we could discuss at the beginning of a new year than that question. Where does the word of God sit in your life at the beginning of this new year? And so I actually want to just kind of, as we move into this passage, I want to start by asking you that question. As you step into 2024, what is your relationship with God's word these days? Like, just give yourself, take a second to think about it. Like, imagine God's word is, is a kind of a person, and you have a relationship with this person. What is, what is your relationship like with God's word at the beginning of this new year? Think about it. For some of you, uh, you might be, we're kind of, in, it's kind of in a, like we're in a, a new honeymoon phase, uh, or it's, it's been fresh, uh, we're, we're enjoying each other, I, I, we want to be together, it's been sweet lately. Um, for some of you, it'd be, uh, it's a pretty distant relationship right now. There's not a lot of interaction. Or for some, it might be, it's, it's kind of, there's a lot of conflict right now. There's some suspicion. <laughs> not sure how I feel about this, think about this. Um, for some of you, you're kind of frenemies right now. It's kind of a love-hate thing. Um, yeah, but what, it, what is your relationship? And, and wherever you find yourself, I, I'm just, you know, there's not a right answer to that, but wherever you find yourself, my goal today is to let James hold before us the beauty, the wonder, the majesty, uh, the fruitfulness of the word of God. And let him invite us into a certain kind of relationship that is intended to help us thrive in this life. So that's what we're going to do today. Um, I, before I, well, let me just show you just one other play. In our, in our passage, I just want to show you how James refers to the word of God, and maybe what he means by that. So we didn't read verse 18, but in verse 18, he refers to it as the word of truth. Then you'll see in verse 21, he calls it the word planted in you. Uh, then in verse 22, I'm summarizing this one. It says the word to be heard and obeyed, right? To be listened to and done. And then finally, he refers to the perfect law that gives freedom. 
And I think when he uses the word word and the word law, he's talking about the same thing. I think for James, when he, this, this thing that he's talking about, I think a, a first century Jewish guy like James first and foremost would think of God's Torah, okay? We kind of think of it as the Hebrew scriptures, but God's, the instructions that God gave Israel for how to live life. He would think in terms of that. But then, of course, he would also thinking, think about the teachings of Jesus, his older brother, how Jesus explained the Torah, fulfilled the to- Torah, drew out the deeper meaning of Torah to the people. He would also then think about the message about Jesus after his death and resurrection, what we think of as the gospel message that went out uh, and started changing people's lives. Essentially, I think we can bring all that together and it's totally appropriate for us then to take all that and say, he essentially means this, (laughs) this word that has now been collected, words written by the apostles, the prophets, Moses, brought together into our Bible. This is what, this is what I think James would think of. Of course, they didn't have a, a bound Bible at that time, but this is what he would be thinking about. So for the rest of our time, what I wanna do is show you how James invites us into two very simple postures with God's word, okay? So I wanna just look at two postures that we are to take with God's word, and with each posture, he reminds us of what an amazing thing God's word is that can motivate us, I think, to take on that posture. All right, so you ready for James? Yes. Yeah, good. Oh, that was, that was pretty good, actually. It's at least a B plus. All right, JK. Um, posture number one, um, let's look at verse 21. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent, and here's posture number one, and humbly accept the word planted in you. Posture number one, humbly accept the word planted in you. ESV says, receive with meekness the word of God. And he's saying the, the word of God, it's what kind of a thing is it? It's like a seed that is planted in the soil of your life that is wanting to do something you and grow in you. And so you need to receive it. You need to make room for it to do what it wants to do. And in using that analogy, he's, of course, drawing on the teachings of his older brother, Jesus. And we all know this, or most of us know the story of the parable of the sower, a farmer who goes out, right, and he sows seed. This is the image I wanted to give you. A farmer goes out and he's sowing seed of the gospel, of the, of the Torah, of the word of God, right, the message of salvation, of God's kingdom. And that seed falls on different kinds of soil. Sometimes it falls on a hard soil, or it falls on a soil that has a little bit of um, you know, dirt, but then there's rocks underneath, or a soil that has a lot of weeds. Or it falls on this fourth soil, which is, is a soil that essentially makes room, right? It creates space. It's tilled, it's prepared, so that that seed can grow and transform that soil and become a plant. And this is what James is saying. This is the image he's running with. And in December, our whole theme was prepare him room, right? Make room. And I think that's essentially what James is saying. Make room in your lives for the word of God. Make your hearts and minds a hospitable place so that the word of God can do what it wants to do in you. And and I was struck in particular with this word humble. Humbly accept the word. What this requires is a humble mind, a mind that sometimes we, we're, we're tempted to go through life thinking, you know, at my age, I kind of I got life figured out. You know, I've kind of got things figured out. And James is like, no, you don't. 
You don't got things figured out. God's word has things figured out. Humble yourself before God's word. Or we, we come with a, a will that says, I'm, I want to do what I want to do with my life. And um, I'll read this, but this, this needs to conform to what I want to do with my life. And James is like, no, you can't. <laughs> That's not how this works. You have to bring a humility or, or a meekness to this word if it's going to do what it wants to do in you. I love this quote from uh, Eugene Peterson. It's one of my favorite quotes on God's word. He says this, very convicting. We do not read God's word in order to find out how to get God into our lives, to get him to participate in our lives. No. We open this book and find that page after page, it takes us off guard, surprises us, and draws us into its reality, pulls us into participation with God on his terms. And that is so convicting. I can, countless times I've been like going through my life. I'm like, you know what? I want to, I want to get God into my life today. <laughs> I want a little of God. I want a little God into my life. I'd love some encouragement. I'd love some perspective. I'd love some peace. And so I'm going to have a quiet time for five minutes and I'm going to get some God into my life before I go on my way. I mean, has anybody else ever? <laughs> and I actually feel like I'm like most people aren't doing this, right? Most people aren't getting a little God into their life. And so I read this, and I'm hoping, God, would you bring a little encouragement, a little perspective, a little peace my way? And Peterson's like, that's not how this works. You're going to open this book, and page after page, it is going to confront you by the way you're living, and it's going to draw you into its reality. And it's, it's not about getting a little God into your life. This is about you entering into the story that God is telling in this world, which has not so much to do with you as you would like it to have. And it's gonna to wanna to do a bunch of things in you, but that's the only way to appropriately approach this book. But that requires a lot of humility, a lot of meekness on our part. And so I wanna just ask you, is this, is this how you approach God's word? Is this how I approach God's word? And, and I, it's interesting, I, I've, dedicated my professional life to the teaching of God's word, right? And um, sometimes I'm struck by what a challenge it is as I just look at the world today. Like, what chance does the word of God have to thrive in people's lives in this world? I mean, you know, this, the, the context of this in verse 21 is get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent, right? Like, there's so much happening out there and what chance does God's word have to thrive? And, and I, I just, I'm going to put up a bunch of images of cultural forces. These aren't even necessarily evil things. This is just the culture that we live in, right? I, I, put, I put a beautiful home up. Uh, you've got the 24-7 news cycle. You've got celebrity culture. Um, looks like I've got a bacon-infused old-fashioned in there. That looks fantastic. Um, I've got a guy who just, he just... He's owning it at work. He just crushed it at work. I'm not sure what he did, but he just, something really, really good happened. But just think about like just the things that are put in front of our faces. I'm, none of these are bad things, right? This is just cultural forces. And then there's that little plant. There's that little word, right? That's this there. Silent, slow, you know, seemingly insignificant. And I think we, we live in a world where, where cultural forces, good, bad, whatever, they come at, a, come at us like boulders, Right? They're, just, they're things that have, I mean, TV, wealth, uh, you know, drink, all these things, they just, have a, they just come at us, they have an adrenaline hit to them, they, they're in your face, um, they're not subtle, they're, they're big, and they, they, they have an initial impact. 
And sometimes I think like, what chance does a little plant have in a, in a cultural world of, of boulders, you know? This thing that is slow, it's a slow work, it's a slow growing thing. And um, sometimes I go like, what, what chance does that have? And so I, what I love about this, I'm just gonna keep that up, what James does in inviting us in this posture, he reminds us of the kind of thing this word is. And it turns out it does have a really good chance. <laughs> um, but look again, look, go back to verse 18. He says this, God chose to give us birth through the word of truth. What is this word, this little thing? This is the thing that gave you birth. Not your natural birth, but your spiritual birth. This is the thing that changed your life from the inside out. If you've given your life to Jesus, you've been born again and that happened as God's spirit took the gospel message and worked something inside of your life and changed you from the inside out, changed your heart of stone towards God and gave you a heart of flesh. Born again, new birth, that happened through his word. This thing has changed your life. I love in the past, in the verse that we're looking at, verse 21, um, humbly accept the word planted in you, look how the sentence ends, which can save you. (laughs) This little thing is the thing that can save you. Someday you will stand before your maker as all human beings will. And what is going to save you in that moment? I promise you, it's none of these cultural forces that you gave yourself to. These things that are big and flashy and you know, come at you hard. None of these will amount to anything on that day. What can save you is the word that was planted in you, the gospel message that you put your trust in and said, I believe, I wanna commit myself to that. That is the thing that saves you on that day. As, as Mark read, all men are like grass, right? All of this, the good, the bad, whatever, it's just grass. The flowers, right, fade, but the word of the Lord remains forever. All of those other things will fall away, and that little plant is going to keep growing and growing for all eternity. I love Tim Keller had a sermon where um, he was talking about the parable of the mustard seed. And, and he talked about how the word changes us. And, and he said, the world changes us. He used that analogy of boulders, like a boulder. Imagine a boulder just like flying into an open field and just like just creating this, this dent in the ground and then just stopping, right? It's this initial powerful hit, but then nothing, it just, it changes the earth superficially for a moment and that's it. Or you could take a tiny, a tiny little mustard seed, right? And plant it in the ground. And four years later, that whole field has been transformed from the inside out. There's no initial hit, it's a slow burn, but it has this transforming power over time. And James is saying, this is the kind of thing that God's word is. So, what do we do with all of that? Humbly accept the word planted in you. So, I leave you with that first posture with this question. In 2024, how are you going to do this? How are you going to humbly accept the word that is planted in you? And there's a million different ways. For some of you, that means reading it and meditating it on your own. Some of you, that's hard. It means discussing it in small groups or with friends. Some of you, it's again reading. Some of it's maybe listening, 
because you can listen better than you can read. There's a million different ways to do it, but at the beginning of this new year, it's so important to ask ourselves, how am I going to practice this humbly except the word make room, prepare room for God's word in this new year? So that's the first posture, and then I'll land the plane with the second posture, and this really gets at James' passion in this, in this uh, book. Verse 22, let me read it again. Don't merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says, right? This is the second posture. Don't just be a hearer of God's word. Be a doer of God's word. God's word, James is going to tell us again and again, is not just a, a philosophy to be considered and pondered. It is a call to be obeyed in our daily lives. It carries all sorts of implications for how we are to live. Um, I was really, I've heard that, that verse many times, don't be a hearer only, but be a doer. But I hadn't thought about what's right in the middle of that phrase this, until this week. Don't merely listen to the word. What does he say there? And so deceive who? Yourselves. I thought, how is merely listening to the word deceiving? I could say I'm trying to deceive God, but... How is that deceiving yourselves? How am I deceiving myself if I'm just listening to the word? And I think what James means is this. When you listen to the word or when you read the word, you're thinking to yourself, I'm a person of the word. Like I'm I'm a faithful follower of Jesus Christ. I had a lovely quiet time today. Um, I had a great discussion about the word with my small group today. I'm a spiritually mature person. And James is like, no, you're not. (laughs) Not if that's where it ends. You're actually, you're, that isn't what spiritual maturity is. Understanding, discussing, contemplating alone. That, you're deceiving yourself. If, in fact, if you do that and then you're really mean to your spouse later in the day, you flip a bunch of people off on the road, or you are still going hard after wealth, um, or you're just watching four hours of filth on TV every night, if that's how you live your life, you're deceiving yourself. You, you are not a person of the word. <laughs> you think you are, but a person of the word is a person who listens to the word and then <laughs> does what it says. That's, that's what it means. Maturity is not, does not consist in hearing the word. How many people have heard amazing sermons their whole lives and are not spiritually mature? Lots of people. Raise your hand if that's you. <laughs> right? Maturity consists in hearing and doing the word. And in saying that, he is just echoing the consistent teachings of his older brother, Jesus. I could give you like 10 places where Jesus says this, maybe most famously, the Sermon on the Mount. He gives us this vision of the kingdom, and he ends that sermon this way. Therefore, everyone who hears these words and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice, is like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. It is the hearing and the doing that makes one spiritually mature. And he goes on, look at verse 23, with a very poignant image. This, it's so, James is so great, it's such compelling images. Anyone who listens to the word, but doesn't do what it says, is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror, and after looking at himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what he looks like. I love that, right? You're, you're, off, you're heading off to work or whatever. You kind of glance at the mirror and then you're driving away. You can't remember what you look like. Like, this is what it would be like. And I'm thinking, who, who could ever not remember what they look like? And then I was thinking, how often does that happen in my life? 
where I'll have this epic quiet time at 7 a.m. And by noon, <laughs> I've completely forgotten. <laughs> you know, I had this great moment of like, um, don't worry about your life and the peace of God which passes all understanding. And by noon, I'm freaking out about something that's happened <laughs> since, you know, between 7 and, and noon, right? <laughs> or, or I'm reading verse 19, right? Someone, we're reading, everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to be angry, right? You read that at 7, and by noon, you're chewing out your, you know, you know, your spouse, your kid, or your coworker, or whatever, right? We, we all have had this experience of, of forgetting um, quite quickly. And so James is calling us, obviously, to hear and listen to the word in such a way that we ponder it, we internalize it, we reflect on it, and then we put it into practice. Verse 25 but whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. Isn't that a great picture? Looking intently at God's word, considering it, not forgetting it, but implementing it, uh, you know, right? embodying it into our daily lives. They will be blessed and what they do. It's not, you're not blessed in the hearing of God's word only. You are blessed in the hearing and the doing of God's word. And in saying that, he is just echoing the teachings of his older brother. Look what Jesus says. Blessed are those who hear the word of God and obey it. I have set you an example. This is right after he washes his disciples' feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. <laughs> receiving this example isn't the blessing. It's receiving it, taking it in, and then living it out yourselves. And so, with a second posture, I, I just wanted to give you an image of a Bible and invite you into this posture. Don't merely be a hearer or reader, but be a doer. And, and have you asked that question of yourself? How am I doing lately? Of, um, am I listening to this word, and then am I, am I living it out? Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Am I, being, am I obeying God's word? And, and I wonder for you, even as you just look at that image, you hear that question, am I obeying God's? Like, what even does that question stir in you? I wonder, what, what emotions, what, what feelings or thoughts does that, even that question stir in you? Does that feel like, oh, gosh, you know? Or, yes, I'm stoked about this. Like, what, is, what does that even stir in you? And, and I want you to just sit with that, that question. What I love, again, as with the first posture, with the second posture, James just doesn't call us into a posture, but he reminds us of the kind of thing the word of God is. And it's that little phrase, whoever looks intently into this description, the perfect law that gives freedom. I don't want to put that up there. The perfect law that gives freedom. That's how he describes God's word. And it's, uh, it's a bit of an oxymoron, right? Like when you think of the word law, you don't really put law and freedom. We don't normally put law and freedom. We think of law, we think of rules, we think of boundaries and limits and you know, obligations. That doesn't feel like freedom. And I think the way I want to end this today is to suggest, I think that's one of the challenges. That's how a lot of us think about this book. 
um, we do think about it as a law, if we're honest. Like not our head theology, but our heart theology says, gosh, I think this book, why why I'm having a hard time obeying it is because I think it's going to restrict my freedom. Like I I think... um, I'm not sure that I'll be as happy. I think it's gonna take away some of the things in life that I love most, if I were to really follow it. And I just, I mean, just like take the Sermon on the Mount as one example of the teachings in the Bible. I mean, Jesus says some pretty gnarly things, like love your enemies, right? Confront the lust in your hearts. Um, don't pursue worldly wealth. Nice. Um, just ignore your reputation with others. Don't, don't worry about that. Don't judge people. Put others' needs ahead of your own. And, and I think a, a lot of us, we look at this book, and if we're like honest, if we're really honest, like, ah, this book is going to call me to give up things that I, I don't want to give up. Like, I don't want to have to give up my crass sense of humor. It's kind of fun to have that. <laughs> you know? I, I, I don't want to give up dr- drinking a little too much on the weekends. That's kind of nice. Um, I'd love to dabble in some sexual stuff. I don't want to get like crazy, but like a little bit of that is, is nice. Um, I'm not going to give up my thoughts on how, how people perceive me. I, I'm going to manage that as best as I can, right? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to keep going after a higher standard of living. And, and if I'm honest, I'm afraid that if I were to go all in on this book, um, I would lose a lot of the things that make my life meaningful and enjoyable and fun. And so what I do is I kind of settle for a middle ground. I know that like rampant disobedience will just create a lot of guilt and shame, and I don't want that. And so I try, I try to find this middle ground that I can look myself in the mirror, I can look God in the face, um, but I can also like have my cake and eat it too a little bit. And I think that's how we so often think about this book. And I believe James, if he were here today, would look at us and go, oh, guys, you are missing it. This is the perfect law that gives freedom. And I think that phrase, this is my own interpretation, that is the secret of the book of James. James looks at God's word and says, this this comes to you from your creator, your maker who designed you and made you, knows how human beings work, how they flourish, what makes things worse for them, what makes things better for them, what makes them tick. He made this, and he, he created reality. He understands how reality works. To enter into this and to, to do this is to be a human being who is firing on all cylinders as God created you, is to step into the fullness of how human beings were made to live. This is not going to restrict and make, uh, take away the best things of life. Yes, it is hard, it is challenging, but this is to enter into the freedom that God designed human beings to have that is modeled in Jesus himself, who was, I think, the freest man who ever lived. And I think this is the secret to some of the the hard-punching things that James has to say. But I think, I know right now, many of you could bear testimony to this reality. You could bear testimony to... Time and time again where certain things were said in the scriptures that at first felt restrictive and oppressive and you finally said, I'm in, God, and it brought freedom. 
Some of you, I think money is a, a, a bet. A ton of you in this room say, man, I used to have a, a view of money that, and just stuff, like I was greedy. I just, when I saw something, I wanted it, I bought it, and I finally got convicted about what scripture has to say, and it was hard, and I yielded to that. But I have found so much financial freedom in, in living with my wealth the way that God called. It is such a free word. The, 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 the burden of, of debt, of just all of that is released. I feel so free. Um, I've told you many times, my, my experience of Sabbath was that. This call of, of, a, of a day of rest every day that at a certain time in my life felt like, I can't do that. I, I, don't, I gotta work. I need all seven days to do what I gotta get done. And finally, I, I submitted to it. And I found, oh my gosh, this is the most freeing commandment I've ever heard in my life. Like one day out of seven, I just had it yesterday, is a day of rest and play and joy and fun where, I, where the world's gonna turn on its own access without me. That is freedom. Some of you are finding freedom in the sexual arena. You, you dabbled and finally you're like, you know what? I'm gonna declare war on this thing. And you've entered into relationships of accountability, of connection. You're fighting that fight and you're finding freedom from shame and isolation. Right? There's, I could give you 20 different examples. This is really true. This is the perfect law that brings freedom. But you can only find that out by doing it. And so this is, the, this is the, um, the invitation this year to stare intently into God's word and to see it as the pathway to freedom. And that's my, that's my encouragement because we're going to bump up against some really hard things. I mean, next week, he's going to say some ridiculous things like consider it pure joy when you face trials. Like that's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. <laughs> and there's a lot of them that are countercultural and even counterintuitive. And I think the invitation is to sit with those commands long enough to go, gosh, where's the freedom in this command? Where, how is this a pathway to fulfillment as God intended us to live? And so that's what I want to invite you into, is to, to, to God's word, to doing God's word as the road to freedom. All right, I have more, but I think I'm going to end there today. Um, actually, I'll, I'll just show you this right here. Um, I'll end with this. I love uh, Ephesians 2, 8 through 10 is one of my favorite passages. It, it captures the grace and, and the, the works that we're called into. For it is by grace that you've been saved through faith. This is Paul, of course. And this is not from yourselves. It's the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance that we might walk in them. You are saved not by any works you will ever do, but you've been called into a life where you step into these good works that actually are the pathway of freedom that God has given you. So that's, that's what James is gonna help us do this year. So let me close this in prayer. I'd like to have you think about something right now. As, as you've heard, just sort of the central point of James, don't be hearers, but do doers of the word. And I guess at the beginning of this new year, I, I want to encourage you to, to ask this question. Is there anything in God's word right now that you know you are disobeying? Like something that's kind of, it could be something that you know you should stop doing, or it could be something you know you should start doing. Uh, it's never a great <laughs> 
It's never a great spiritual situation to consistently hear and know what you're supposed to be doing and consistently disobeying it. That's a bad, that's a dangerous spiritual pattern to get into. And so I just want to encourage you to think, is, is there like one thing that you're like, I, no one has to tell me this, I just know it. It might be a conversation you need to have, it might be a, a sin you need to confront, it might be a practice you need to pursue, but there's a level of conviction that God has been stirring in you on this issue, whatever it might be. And there might not be anything that comes to mind, but I, I, it just feels appropriate at the beginning of this series on James to ask, Lord, is there something that you've been kind of pushing on my heart and mind that I, I know it, I know, I, I know, I know this needs to change. And maybe today is the day where you commit to say, okay, Lord, okay, I, I don't wanna just be a hearer, I, I need to be a doer in this. And if something comes to your mind, I would just encourage you in this moment just to offer that up to the Lord. Lord, today I say yes. I, I can't fix it on my own, right? I need, I need you to, to do this, but I'm gonna stop avoiding this or pushing this off or neglecting this, Lord. Okay, yeah, today, today's the day where I say yes, but I need you to lead me, Lord. And if something could, why don't you just take a moment, if something comes up for you, stirs in you, and then we're gonna sing, I think, a very appropriate song out of that.